Hey, it's time for another edition of Spitting Lugs with ESPN's Tom Luganville. I'm Lance Taylor from the next round. It is brought to you by our friends at Manscaped, where you go to manscaped.com, you put in that promo code. He is a promo code, Lugs, L-O-O-G-S, <laughs> and you're going to get a great bonus there at checkout. That is it, uh, manscaped.com. So last Saturday, man, it was almost complete just bonkers. When you look at Washington, could have easily lost. Uh, Florida yeah. State was in trouble. They were against the ropes until Riley Leonard goes out. Uh, help me out here, Lugs. Um, there were a couple of more in Oklahoma, there. UCF. <laughs> yeah, Oklahoma comes down to a two-point conversion. Alabama's yeah. getting smoked at halftime, and they flipped that yeah. thing completely around. It was almost one of these bloody Saturdays, and I expected – I said it last week. I believe down the stretch we're going to have three, four, five teams that are 17-point dog-plus – win games outright. I just think it's that crazy in college football this year. Really close last week. A couple of teams did look like they got, you know, bounced in North Carolina. It looks like they can't recover from that. Uh, USC looks like it's going to be mm -hmm. difficult to recover from back-to-back -back losses. Clemson and Miami. Yeah, Clemson and Miami. Um, so last, last Saturday, a little separation there. Listen, I think the further you go into the season, the more tired you become, the more fatigued you become, the more injuries that occurred, nobody's immune, right? You are, you're in the thick of it. And if you don't bring your A game every week, if you're not dialed in, um, somebody's going to jump up and bite you. Because I think what's happened here too is for most teams, not necessarily an Alabama or a Georgia or a Ohio State or what have you, but for most teams, the transfer portal has thinned out the rosters for everybody. And we have better players that used to be consolidated from certain teams now dispersed out to other teams. So each and every week becomes a bit more competitive and, and the gap in talent's not quite as, as far as it, you know, once was. But I, again, I go, I, I think we, we can never discount the value of the fact that when you're dealing with kids, you really don't know. Like, I can't tell you how many coaches tell us, hell, we had a great week of practice. Now, I don't know if we'll go out and play that week that well. Or a coach will say, we, I don't like how we practiced at all. We weren't worth a crap. And then they go out and play lights out. You don't know. And that's what makes the whole thing so dang fun. Yeah, it's, uh, it, it seems, and I tell people this all the time, doing the handicapping at Lance'sLock.com, well, I heard they had a good week of practice. Doesn't mean anything. It's almost like every time, it's almost the opposite. Like we opposite. had a shitty week of practice. They come out, they play 60 full minutes of really good football. And then yep. on the flip side, you know, we had a great week of practice. They come out, they turn it over three times, they lose the game. With all this said, biggest surprise, and I cannot believe we're heading into week nine. So depressing. Can't wait till we get to this extended college football season or extended college football playoff and really push this thing more and more and more. But we are through eight weeks. Uh, what has been your biggest surprise, whether it's a player, a coach, or just a team in general? Um, a, a couple of couple come to mind. Um, I would say Oklahoma's very quick and resounding turnaround in such a short period of time. I mean, that was a team, then I say that, seeing it firsthand last year, having Bedlam, that they were a mess, man. And 
They didn't have any talent on defense. The coverage was bare. The kids were drinking through a fire hose because the defense is very complicated. Offensively, they have their moments in this and that, but it kind of looked like, well, this is Dylan Gabriel. He looks like a group of five player trying to play at the power five level, and maybe he doesn't have it. And then you look at him now, and it's like, it's an entirely different animal. I think that's a big surprise. Um, Clemson's been a bit of a surprise to me. Uh, there's been really no effect either way by the addition of Garrett Riley. The quarterback position clearly hasn't been redefined by going away from uh, DJ Uyunglele. The defense is still elite, but can't carry him right now. Um, I've been very surprised, uh, probably more so than anything else about Clemson, is how sloppy they've been. Undisciplined, heavily penalized, turn the ball over, coaching snafus. Um, I mean, you look at you you look at Cade Klubnik. Remember the third and one against Florida State after they just gained nine yards on the ground with Will Shipley. Yeah. All he's got to do is hand it around, hand it off, and he throws it out to the perimeter on the on the free access on the quick screen. The guy gets tackled for a yard loss against Miami this past weekend on the whatever the two and a half yard line. All he's got to do is give it. He decides to take it upon himself to keep it, and that's two plays right there that the quarterback cost you in two games against Miami and Florida State. Right. I mean, that's now we're having a different conversation about Clemson. So that's been a bit surprising to me. I'll tell you what hasn't surprised me one bit is SC. If you were if you were dialed in at all to what yeah. that. No, was, you, you told me before San Jose State. Hey, look, I am not sold. They went out. They got Barry Alexander. They got Mason Kyle. They got some of these pieces. But I still I'm not convinced this defense is going to be any better than it was last year. And really, the only time I've seen him play good football, which is really strange, I thought against Notre Dame, although, albeit Notre Dame's offense. football. Yeah, but, you know, when you turn it over five times, you give up a 99-yard kick return, you're not going to win any football games on the road. But you did say from day one, I am not convinced on USC. The only thing that bothers me with this, and I'll let you get to your point, is last year you were 11-1 and in the regular season. I know the Pac-12 is much tougher this year, but now we're talking about an SEC team that I'm not going to be surprised if they lose five games. With SC? I'm not yeah. me neither. I've been posing it to everybody. You look down the stretch. Better, 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 uh, like more likelihood. They'll lose at least two or they'll win out. I don't even think it's a question. Oh, it's not a question. It's not a question. In fact, going on the Cal is no on the road to Cal is no cupcake, especially if you're reeling and feeling sorry for yourself, number one. My and sneaky, then three sneaky good game of the week. Right, now, nobody, right. Nobody will get to see. Cal will be able to run the football on them. Nobody will get to see it because it's on the Pac-12 network, unfortunately. Right. But I, I agree with you. I think that's a tough game. And then they got three in a row against teams that are probably better than they are. I think you know the yeah. thing that's or, happened or, to me. Washington, Oregon, and UCLA. UCLA. Yeah. Good defenses, <laughs> dude. And I know. And 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 I and I you know I said this in the preseason too. And it, and it's so important. Is like when you're plus twenty two in turnover margin, which they were last year, which is an absolute statistical anomaly. Like, yeah. it does not happen. And you are that bad on defense. And your quarterback is a magician, all right? That's how you got to where they were a year ago. And you're right, the Pac-12 wasn't as good. Fast forward to this year. It's the same offense with the addition of Zachariah Branch, really. The same defense with the addition of some guys that haven't made any difference. And all of a sudden you're not getting all of those turnovers that you got a year ago. I mean, honestly, Lance, if you took that quarterback off of that team, I think they're a sub-500 team. 
You know, this is what bothers me, and this is Spitting Lugs with ESPN's Tom Luganbill on Disrupt the Media. Like and subscribe. It is brought to you by Lance'sLike.com. Jump on board with us. NBA season started up last night. We've got the NBA. We've got World Series, college football, NFL. thing that bothers me about this, Lance'sLike.com, is now people are turning on Caleb Williams. And they're like, he is so overrated. And I'm like, you obviously no, he's not. Yeah, the <laughs> offensive line is shit. He's got no defense. And the guy is out there. He's playing his ass off. There's he's not the only reason they're in contention. Right. He is the only reason. And you would give me this. I mean, last year they were probably six and six without Caleb Williams. Without question. Yeah. The turnover saved him last year, you know. And um, but yeah, so that that part hasn't surprised me. I've been unbelievably impressed with how Utah has done what Utah has done. Um, and they're a problem still. So I think there's been a ton of like, like really good fun, like store lambs there. Look, look at LSU right now, man. Like you're telling me just because LSU has two losses that the Jaden Daniels shouldn't be the Heisman front runner. I or, mean, he's carrying that team. I, to me, you know, my ballot has got him number one right now, at least at this point. You. He'll have an opportunity in Tuscaloosa to really solidify that case. And a big but, viewing window, by the way. Oh, yeah. And and not only is he – should he be – he should be in the mix to win a Heisman Trophy, but LSU, to me, is not out of this thing yet. If you win in Tuscaloosa, they went out – they beat Georgia in a one-game situation, a two-loss SEC champion – depending if you have some upsets, and I think we're going to get some upsets in front of us, I still think LSU is very much alive. If that were to happen, not only would you have a two-loss SEC champ, you'd have a two-loss SEC champ likely with the Heisman Trophy winner. Because that would mean that LSU would run through the rest of this thing right, and beat the number one or number two ranked team in the country. I mean, that in order that for that to happen, Jaden Daniels would have to continue to be doing exactly what he's done to get him to this point. You know, a month ago we were talking about, man, this is going to be a bad loss for Brian Kelly in Columbia, Missouri. And they find a way down two scores to win that game. And now you look up in Missouri, this is going to be my surprise for you through eight weeks, is only got one loss in a game that yeah. they led by multiple scores. Brady Cook, I had this conversation with somebody earlier today. When we were at SEC Media Days in Nashville, people were listing out their quarterbacks one through 14. Graham Mertz was almost everybody's 14th. Right. And he's in everybody's top five right now, statistically, the way he's playing. They're sitting at five and two. Brady Cook was down between 11, 12, 13, 14. Like A.J. Swan at Vanderbilt. Yeah. Brady Cook. Oh, absolutely. Sure. And Brady Cook is balling out right now. Like, he's yeah. got some weapons. I mean, Luther Burden, Weiss. I mean, these guys are starting to play football. But it went from Eli Drinkwitz. Uh, the kind of the joker coach of the SEC to, damn, this is a tough out and a legitimate team. And I am really surprised through eight weeks that they're sitting at seven and one. I am too. And I, I'll tell you this, you've got to really, you got to really applaud the job that Drinkowitz and that administration has done keeping their best players around. They obviously came up with NIL money. They obviously created opportunities. They have made that a destination school for the top in-state kids, and by the way, the 2022, 2023, and 2024 class in, all, in, in Missouri is as strong as it's ever been in the almost little over 19 years I've been here in doing this. Yeah, and they, they've been they, able to, they just sign another huge receiver for next year? Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. and they just got a big-time defensive end as well. So, I mean, they are 
they're doing all of the right things to survive in this college football world. They're doing what you have to do when you're not Alabama and you're not Ohio State. Like, you're going to have to go above and beyond. Like, how they kept Luther Burden from going somewhere else, I don't – I mean, that's a, that's remarkable. Luther Burden might be the best receiver in the country. Yeah, I mean, I think he's Marvin, the best receiver in the SEC. Marvin Harrison Jr., I think behind him, I think yep. if you've been watching, I think Luther Burden the third is your second guy – yeah. Can you imagine if he went out in this draft, he's a top 10 guy with yeah. the difference oh, yeah. maker receivers are in the NFL. So, you know, I, I'm kind of one of those that, okay, I pull for SC. So I would love SC to be able to steal a Luther burden, but I respect the fact if you're Missouri, if you can keep a kid like that. And I yeah. hate to see, you know, Jordan Addison, Pat Narduzzi. I mean, that collective must suck. Yeah. But they can't Jordan, compete. Jordan Addison left. I mean, they're like, we can't do anything about this. And you heard how vocal he was. Uh, would you say this? And I know I'm all over the place. Is it possible Missouri's collective is better than Clemson's right now? Um, I would I would not say it's better. What I would probably say is Clemson probably right, wrong, or indifferent in their mind doesn't feel like they have to use theirs as much as Missouri does. Fair or unfair, I mean, there's going to come a moment where those coffers are going to have to start opening up at Clemson for not only their own players. But they're going to have to go out and start, I hate to say it, buying guys in the portal that are really, really good, that are better than what they currently have. And I would and I would say this about Clemson. They have the ability to match anybody if they want to financially in, amongst their, their competitors because of what they've built that thing into. But I would tell them, dude, you're fine on defense. You're, 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 you're fine at running back. You better go out in that portal and get some freaking wideouts. Because right now, the wide receiver position is crushing them. And they have very few guys that can separate. They're not playing with Sammy Watkins. They're not playing with Justin Ross. They're not playing with New Hopkins. They're not playing with Martavius Bryant or Mike Williams or Amari Rogers or a wealth of other guys. Yeah, DeAndre Hopkins. I mean, you're right. A ton of great receivers. And it's kind of weird. Like five years ago, it was Alabama Clemson, and you had a little drop off Ohio State, Georgia. Right. And if you would have told anybody involved in college football, Nick Saban is still going to be coaching at an elite level, and Dabo Sweeney is still going to be at Clemson. There is no way – and I give Nick Saban a lot of credit. He's doing one of his best coaching jobs up until this point. We'll see how it plays out down the stretch. Mm -hmm. But both of those guys just don't have the offensive talent they've had in the past, and it's really strange. Yeah, they don't. And, again, I, some of it's cyclical, right? Some of it is – you're going to have some high points. You're going to have some low points. You're going to have some years where, like, you nail, like, two or three classes in a row. See, at the at the end of the day, that's what this thing breaks down to for Alabama and Clemson. At quarterback, you go on a run where you hit on, like, two or three guys in a row. Well, hell, that might get you nine years, Lance, of steady quarterback yep. or elite quarterback play. So, you look at Clemson, you had Taj Boyd was the one that got it lifted off the ground. Then you go to Deshaun. Then you go to Trevor, right? And in between that, you had the stopgap guy and Kelly Bryant. He takes him to a college football playoff. So then at Alabama, you're sitting there and you're, you know, you're, you're playing with Tua. You're playing with Jalen. You're playing with Bryce. You hit on successive ones in a row. Then all of a sudden, maybe you missed. Now you're having to work around that position a little bit. I think we've seen that with Clemson. We've seen that with Alabama. They're not playing with first rounders at quarterback. And so they all of a sudden become a little bit more human, like everybody else in the real world. You know, it's pretty amazing, you know, that we're talking about quarterbacks and jumping around and stuff. 
And back to USC and Caleb Williams. Look, they obviously made the right decision when Lincoln comes in, bringing Caleb Williams, the guy that won the Heisman sure. Trophy last year. But they could but have had Jackson Dart. Yeah, I was going to say, look around. They've got Jackson Dart starting in a Power Five in Ole Miss. You've got Keaton Slovis in the Big 12 right now at BYU. You've got yeah. JT Daniels, who now is at Rice. But you've got three guys at, at one point, and maybe Jackson Dart is just hitting his – his moment now. I saw some early flashes though. Mm-hmm. Caden Slovis was a complete stud before he goes down. I think it was the Rotator Cup against Iowa yeah. and the Holiday Bowl. JT Daniels, at least coming into that freshman season or sophomore season before he got the knee injury, those look like quarterbacks that were going to be around for a long time. And they're still playing and they're still starting. And it's just amazing that SC has got four starting quarterbacks out there right now. I know it's crazy. I mean, if you think about it, like you could say th- the same thing about Oklahoma. Oklahoma lost Tanner Mordecai, who had two great years at yep. SMU, just got hurt at Wisconsin. Spencer Rattler at South Carolina. All right, Caleb Williams, he goes off to um, to USC. So they had they were left basically starting from scratch when Brent Venables got there. He hires Jeff Lebby. Fortunately, Jeff Lebby's coached Dylan Gabriel, right at at um, at UCF. So they had an in there. But if that doesn't happen. I don't know who they're who Oklahoma was playing with at quarterback last year. It is spitting lugs with ESPN's Tom Lugabell. I'm Lance Taylor from the next round. It's on Disrupt the Media. Make sure you like and subscribe. It's always brought to you by mybookie.ag at checkout. Make sure you put in that promo code next round. They're going to hook you up with a great uh, sign out bonus. That is at mybookie.ag. Speaking of quarterbacks, backup quarterbacks, Quinn Ewers is out. He hadn't blown me away this year. Look, he played a really good fourth quarter against Alabama. He's been steady, Eddie. They've won every game. Um, except Oklahoma. Uh, but now you've got QB2, and I've heard this Malik Murphy kid is like the next Vince Young. Tell us about him. How good do you yeah. think he's going to be? You're going to be there this weekend in Austin. Yeah. And how different would this game be if it was in Provo? Would it be a scary game for Texas? Well, it's interesting you ask that question because if it was in Provo, I would say, well, is the game at night? Because right now, for some reason, BYU is an entirely different team at night than they are during the day. They can't figure it out. Nobody can figure it out. Even, even in Fayetteville. Yeah, even in Fayetteville. And then you look at them get hammered um, at TCU on a noon kick. Then you see them go to Kansas, get beat in a day game. But when they play at night, they seem to be just fine. Okay, um, let me take this to confirm. 2.30 ABC, you'll be on the call here. Right. Um, yeah, so that's a problem for, for BYU. But with that said, Malik Murphy, is he going to be great? Is he going to be okay? Will we see Arch Manning possibly? Yeah, so uh, well, so let's address the Arch Manning thing because I think there's some strategy here. There's a three-pronged effect of of Arch Manning being involved. You, if you are Sark and the Texas staff, you've got to have an idea, and maybe you don't yet, but you're waiting on an idea on when Quinn Ewers could be back. That's number one. Number two, Malik Murphy's been the number two all year long. That's how he's been listed. That's who I think that they will go with, right, against BYU. If you look at the schedule the rest of the way, you've got this BYU game, then there's four regular season games left. So depending on what you know about Quinn Ewers, depending on how Malik Murphy plays on Saturday, you want to be careful deciding whether you play Arch Manning on Saturday because if you do, that counts as a redshirt game. If you don't and you're not happy with the result of Malik Murphy – you could play Arch Manning the final four games of the year if you needed to and still preserve his red shirt. So I think there's a little bit of strategy there that they've got to think through based off of what they know on Quinn Ewers, the injury, and when he may be back. So here, here's my take on, on Malik Murphy. 
Envision Joe Milton physically. That's exactly who he looks like. He's tall. He's big, 6'5", 235, like a 79-inch wingspan, nine-and-a-half-inch hands, strong rocket arm. And he was a guy that I really, really liked as a sophomore in high school. I was like, whoa, okay. And then as he continued to progress, I started noticing that his, his completion percentage was really poor. And I get a little bit worried with guys that are uber-talented and they're playing at the high school level where they're they're clearly superior to everybody else around them. And then they're completing 55% of their passes. Was, was Anthony Richardson one of those guys? Absolutely. Anthony yeah. Richardson was like that at Florida. Last yeah. year, he completed 53% of his passes. And I, that worries me a little bit because that generally, when you make the transition to the upper level of talent and the lo- upper level of co- competition, that doesn't improve. It kind of either stays the same or, or gets worse. So, I continue to watch him as a senior, and his, his completion percentage went up from 55 to 59. Still not the number that I think he should be at, given what his physical abilities are. But he's one of those guys that will make a throw, and he'll go, whoa. Like, and it's that's why I bring up Joe Milton, because that's what Joe Milton does. And then Joe Milton, on the very next down, will airmail an open guy, or he'll overthrow a curl route 14 yards in front of him. And then two plays later, he'll nail a slant for a touchdown or he'll hit a post. And then the next four, he'll be incomplete. And so if I'm looking at Malik Murphy, I love the physical skill set. He's played sparingly. He was 9 of 13 in their spring game last spring and played well. Um, I, I think this is one of those games where BYU, they're 5 and 2, but I have no idea how they've gotten there. Right. They have, they, first of all, they played Texas Tech last week. Texas Tech's on their third quarterback and turns the ball over five times. All right. That's how they won that game. Um, but there were a lot of holes in that game. So I uh, this isn't the same type of BYU team we've probably seen some from years past, despite the five and two record. So I think it's a good opponent for Malik Murphy to get his feet wet against. But I'm really curious to see does he play within himself? Does he make the routine plays routinely? Is he accurate on short and intermediate stuff? I know they're gonna take their shots, and I know he's got the arm talent to do all of that. And then you know, don't don't try and play outside of yourself. They've got great personnel around them. Rely on it. Rely on the run game. Rely on the weapons. Rely on Xavier Worthy. And just make the plays that are there to be made. Take what the defense gives you. If he tries to do too much, he's going to get himself into trouble. So I'm very curious to see if he's become more accurate, if he's become more routinely consistent instead of being up and down and erratic, especially with accuracy. A better chance pulling off the upset, BYU over Texas with without yours, or Florida over Georgia without Bowers? Hmm. Because I think there's such a distinct talent gap between BYU and Texas, I would I would probably say, at least on paper, I'd probably say Florida, Georgia. Um, and I don't even know if I believe in that one. Uh, but I know I know that somehow Florida has gotten to five and two. And Graham Mertz is playing out of his mind. Yeah. And, 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 um, and tell me where, why I'm wrong here. But I went back. And, and look, and I know Graham Mertz at Wisconsin, like when when he was coming in, they were talking about this is the greatest quarterback in Wisconsin history. This guy's Yeah, recruiting-wise, sure. Yeah, the record books, all this kind of stuff. But when I went back, and I did this earlier today just because I'm weird like this, but I went and pulled Graham Mertz against the two best defenses that he has faced over the last three years, and his numbers are awful. And I know he doesn't have the the same surrounding cast, but Wisconsin in the Big Ten 
right now, or at least over the last few years, probably better than where Florida is in the SEC. So I guess my, my question to you is, this is going to be by far the best defense Graham Mertz has ever seen. Can he continue to do what is asked of him? I know it's, at, it's, it's risk adverse right now yeah. in this offense, but is he good enough to not make the mistakes and at least keep Florida hanging around Georgia? If they protect him. Yeah, I think he's good enough. I think he's got a bit of a feel right now. He's playing with confidence. I think you can make the argument that maybe that's not as good of a program during the tenure of, of, of Wisconsin's program, but you can make the argument that there's better skill at Florida around him, better athletes overall around him. But they got to protect him. I think anytime you play Georgia, you play Alabama, if you can't protect the quarterback, you're done. And so is it a great matchup for Florida? Probably not. Have they made strides and improved under Billy Napier? And, and while nobody's paying attention, absolutely they have. And they deserve credit for it. And now they're going to have an opportunity to go out there and prove it against a team that they're not expected to beat. And if they play well, and if it's competitive, and if it gets into the fourth quarter, um, I think it will tell you a little bit about both teams. Okay, I'm going to throw this random-ass question out here. It's Spitting Lugs, by the way, ESPN's Tom Luganbill. I'm Lance Taylor. It's Disrupt the Media. Like and subscribe. It is brought to you by our friends at Manscaped. Go to manscaped.com. Great products like the handyman right here. Take care of that undercarriage. Put in Lugs as your promo code. They're going to hook you up at checkout. I'm just going to throw a random team out there. We'll say Washington State. So your life is on the line. You've got to pick one Group 5 team to play for the life of Tom Luganville against Washington State, neutral site, who is the group five you're going with? Um, Air Force or James Madison. And I would yeah. probably lean towards Air Force because you're going to have to deal with the option element, and nobody wants to deal with it. And they're good. I mean, when, when, they are really when, good. when healthy at quarterback, I mean, I, I've unfortunately been suckered into lanceslock.com into playing Air Force a couple of times, so I've been forced to watch them. Yeah. But Troy Calhoun's got his best team by far. Yeah, first time they've been in the top 20, I think, since 1997. Uh, they're a problem. They actually have a passing game to add to the option, so that just creates more problems. Um, but I, I think they, they would be the team. And I, I'm so ticked off about James Madison because I, I think that the transitional phase from the FCS to the FBS – I understand the parameters and I understand the framework because they want everybody to be financially viable and sustainable and be able to not only maintain your athletic program with your revenue producing sports, but be able to have that trickle down and make sure everything else is healthy. But this has to be, this has got to be looked at on an individual basis. I, I understand if you're struggling and you're outman talent wise and that first year you come in and you're three and nine. Okay. And then the next year you're hoping to maybe win one more or two more. All right, that part I get. This team was eight and three last year and has a legitimate chance to go undefeated. So now you are basically reaching into the pockets of that university and pulling out bowl revenue, conference championship game revenue, and CFP playoff revenue. That's not fair to those kids, those coaches, the community, the university. Like, what are we doing? They've 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 tried to lobby for a waiver, it's been denied. They've done it again, it's been denied. Like what do you want them to do? They clearly prepared for this transition. They're not in the red. They've got the infrastructure. This is, it's just another, it's just another NCAA snafu that I, I think, how do you, how do you explain it and justify it? That's the problem I have. All right. It's been Lugs with ESPN's Tom Luganville. We talk a little entertainment each and every week here. Killers of the Flower Moon. I was so excited about going to see it. I haven't seen it yet. I hadn't been able to carve out the time. 
I was going to last Friday night. I was exhausted after a long week, but I was still going to battle through. I was going to go see it. Two of our internal employees here at Disrupt, they were like, and they're both movie guys. They were like, it sucked. And it kind of kicked me in the balls. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. How could it suck with that cast? With it, Based on a true story, I've got multiple friends that have read the book. They said okay. it's a fantastic novel. Did you see it? And what were your thoughts? Saw it Sunday late afternoon as my football escape. I didn't think it sucked, but I was extremely disappointed in it. It's it's very, very story-driven, which is fine. It's a really good drama. It's totally predictable. There are no twists and turns. Um, if you're going to have any appreciation for it, you'll have an appreciation for the performances. Like Leo and De Niro are fantastic. Probably will be nominated for Best Actor and Best uh, Supporting Actor. Yeah, Je- Jesse was, Clemens really good actor. He's really good. He's not in it very often, though. Yeah, but he I heard, is that, very I heard good. he's not in until like two and a half hours into it. Yeah, he's not in it very often. And it, it's good. It's not great. It's very slow. You have to have an appreciation for the story. But you kind of know from word go, like, you know who the bad guy is. There's no guessing. There's no twist involved. There's no, there's nothing at the end that makes you go, aha, like none of that. And my wife read the book too. She said the book was awesome. And, um, but I was kind of like, eh, it's okay. You know, like The Departed almost got a little too much at the end. Now I've, I've really grown to appreciate it more and more. The yeah. performances, it was based loosely on Whitey Bulger and his Bulger, relationship. Yeah. And uh, not only the Irish mob, but, you know, internally with the FBI. And uh, I, at the end of that, there was a lot of carnage. And I'm like, damn, you know. It, but back to it, there were a lot of twists and turns. And yeah. to have a great story like this with the ensemble cast and with wow. arguably one of the greatest directors of all time, I just don't know how you jack this thing up. Yeah, I don't know. I, I just think it's, and I don't want to call it artsy, and I don't want to say that it, it's, because, you know, we've heard the comments recently from Martin Scorsese about how he's just fed up with, you know, superhero films, and, you know, those aren't real movies and all this and that. It's like almost like he's trying, like, too hard to just kind of have a, a, a really heavy story-driven drama with great performances. The problem is it's missing some juice. Like, Wolf of Wall Street, you could say was overstuffed, but God, what a roller coaster ride of fun, right? Yeah. The Departed, a great movie, great story, a little convoluted, but at the same time, it kept you guessing sometime. Um, this does not do that. Like, what you see is what you get. You'll know within the first 10 minutes exactly what's going to play out. Okay, let me throw two Leo films out there before I get to uh, one of our one of our longtime listeners wanted me to ask you a question about a television show. But Leonardo DiCaprio won his first Oscar, his only Oscar, I guess, for The Revenant. I was so excited about that film, and I thought it was good. Yeah, I didn't think it was great. I really appreciated the cin- cinematography. Yeah, and you know that was based on a true story too. Obviously, not a Scorsese film there, but it's one of those. I saw it. I really didn't want to see it again. And would I recommend it? It depends on where you are. Your headspace is a is a film movie guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Aviator, another good true story, a Scorsese film yeah. that I thought was good and a great performance, but really wouldn't want to see it again. And I don't know if I would recommend it. So would you recommend this and would you see it again? 
I probably wouldn't see it again. I wouldn't go to the theater to see it again. If it popped on and I was sitting on the sofa and it came on, I, I, I would maybe, you know, stick with it for a little bit. But I think you've picked two films that really, really are eerily similar and the impact that they have on you when you compare them to Killers of the Flower Moon. Aviator, The Revenant. Now, I did see The Revenant a second time. I liked it much better. Okay. Um, the Revenant moves along. Uh, no. The Aviator moves along faster than Killers of the Flower Moon. The Revenant moves along kind of at a similar pace, but there's more action. There's more little grit to it. Yeah, bear attacks. Yeah, yeah, the bear attacks uh, <laughs> remarkable. It's remarkable. But like I, I thought The Irishman was better than, than this movie. Okay. Um, I like The Irishman more than yeah. most. What I didn't like is when De Niro drags a dude out of uh, the uh, grocery store, convenience store, and they actually let De Niro try to punch or kick him. And I'm like, that's such a bad look, man. They, we have really aged De Niro here. At least get a, yeah. a hand in for this one. Yeah. Uh, okay, so I used to watch this, and here's what happened. This is the honest-to-God truth. And I was watching when Damian Lewis was still on uh, Showtime's Billions. Paul Giamatti, great actor. Um, I enjoyed Billions until I watched Succession. And once I watched Succession, it showed me really the dysfunction of true billionaires and probably mm -hmm. how they live miserable lives to this over-sexualized, glamorized Billions lifestyle. And so to me, Billions became kind of, um, kind of a guilty pleasure compared to what is really good, riveting performances in TV and Succession. But one of our longtime listeners, Bobby, said, you got to ask Luganville on Spitting Lugs about Billions because this season, now that Axelrod is back, Damian Lewis, could be one of the best one-season standalones in television history up there with True Detective. Really? Season one. That's what he says. I don't know. I haven't seen it in years, so I don't know if you watch Billions at all. I, I do, and I've loved it. I'm a huge Paul Giamatti guy. I think he's fantastic in everything he's in, no matter how small or how large the role. I have not seen the last two seasons of billions i'm caught up until then so are you saying that in two seasons ago that bobby axelrod's not even in the season oh yeah he left something happened something, something with uh you know internal investigation um you know he, he gets he disappears or gets exiled from trading altogether i don't know what uh, happened i just heard that his character disappeared for two seasons I didn't even know that. Yeah, so I'm I'm not that caught up then. So, but I've always loved Billions. I do think there's more of an entertainment factor to it, as you described it, yeah. than Succession has. Um, I thought Succession always tried to peel back more layers behind character development, and you know what makes all these people tick and their quirks and and all of that stuff. Maybe more so than Billions did. But like, I just I love Paul Giamatti. I love. Um, Bobby Axelrod's uh, henchman. What's his name? Um, oh, God. Dark haired guy. Dark haired yeah, guy was, with the uh, Wags. 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 Yeah, Wags. Wags. He, awesome. he was. Remember, he was the guy that was learning to cook in Breaking Bad until he got shot Correct. in the head by, by Jesse Pinkman. Yeah. 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 So he's he's fantastic. Um, I thought that their cast is is really good. Dollar Bill is great. Um, so I, I've enjoyed I, I enjoyed it. I just haven't gotten back into it. Yeah, well, I might check that out, at least just the final season and just see what it's all about. Uh, do you have any suggestions entertainment-wise? I know uh, a film we just talked about is probably not going to be a suggestion, but uh, any direction you would go this week? I, You know what? I, I, I've been kind of off the, the map 
uh, a little bit just because I've got a, a double header coming up next week, game wise. Taken away from my entertainment value. Uh, I, I, I will say this if people haven't seen it, um, you're caught up with your honor, right? Uh, no, I only watched first season. First season. Oh, stick with it, man. Keep going. Okay. Yeah, keep going. It's just really, really well, man. I, I think it's really, really good. I love the show. Well, I he's love a great where it's actor. Going. Too. Yeah, and where they're they're taking it in a direction you probably didn't expect. Okay, which is kind of which is kind of cool. I didn't see it, you know, at least uh, in that regard. And then um, I gave you that the House of the Fall of Usher last week on on Netflix, which is which is very very intriguing. But uh, no, that's it. I don't I don't have much else popping up right now that I'm going. Oh, I want to get hey, back did- into that. So I threw out the uh, the documentary uh, Trial of the Devil or whatever. Did you guys oh, sit back? I started it. I did, but like there was nothing scary about it. I wasn't spooked. There was okay. no like it didn't make you uncomfortable. Uh, to be honest with you, I thought it was a little boring. Okay, clickbait probably. Yeah. Probably. Maybe, okay. Yeah. What is the uh, fare of choice tonight for date night in the Luganville House? The beer of choice? No fair. Like, uh, are we going uh, Italian? We doing oh. a little Mexican? Uh, no, we're doing tavern. We're we're doing okay. a little uh, Irish pub tavern, um, uh, a little downtown community here, and uh, I, and uh, I, I, we're always trying to keep it the same, but kind of do something subtly different. And then for me, I got to behave myself a little bit because of the time change. We've got our BYU coaches calls on Zoom later tonight, which we oh, rarely wow. have anything on a Wednesday night, so they're screwing with my freaking date night. Well, you can make them a little jealous, shake that beer, because you're not supposed to have that <laughs> on campus in Provo. I can't I believe know. you can't have a Coke on campus in Provo. Uh, That's in the uh, the student handbook. It was, at least for a while. Yeah, there's something about caffeine. I don't, I don't know what it is. I'm trying to think. I've been to Provo twice in the last two years. I'm trying to think. Did I ever see, like, a Pepsi can or a Coke can or anything like that? And see, now you got me thinking. Next time I'm in Provo, yeah. I'm going to start looking for it. I'm going to be eyeballing it. Uh, that's Tom Lugamill at Spittin' Lugs. It is brought to you by Lance'sLog.com. Jump on board again. The NBA is starting up. Uh, we'll have college basketball right around the, uh, the the bend here. We've got World Series action, college football, NFL. We will win for you at Lance'sLog.com. Safe travels to Austin. Enjoy it. We will talk to you next week. You bet, man. Thanks.